The Medical College of Wisconsin Office of Student Health and Wellness presents Well, 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 where each episode a very special guest and I discuss what it means to be well in the world of health science education. everyone. Welcome to this episode of Well, Well, Well. I know I am a broken record, but I am very excited for this episode on cultivating self-compassion with Dr. Barbara Moser. Dr. Barbara Moser is a new grandma, mom of three adult children, wife, animal lover, and a retired family practice physician who for the past 15 years has worked extensively in the realms of suicide and emotional well-being in greater Milwaukee. Barbara became a mindful self-compassion instructor in 2019. She loves sharing with others how these two essential resources of mindfulness and self-compassion join together to give us the strength, courage, and inner stability necessary to care for ourselves, which in turn sustains our ability to compassionately care for those whom we serve. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Be well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Moser, for being here on Well, Well, Well. I always like to get started with the same kind of icebreaker question for all of our very special guests. What's one way that you've been promoting your wellness or taking care of yourself recently? Mm. Well, for me, it's easier to stick with something that supports my wellness when it connects to something like I don't know, value or something that really matters to me. And so what I do is every day I'm outside and most days I'm outside working with my two donkeys that I have in my life and they make it easy for me to want to connect and be kind to them. And that makes me feel good. Um, They are very deliberate and mindful creatures, and they're 900 pounds each, so I don't want them to step on me. So being with them really helps me to pay attention and be in the moment and slow down and work off some energy and and just kind of come to a more centered place inside of me. So I, I think that that piece of being able to connect whatever we're doing to be well with something just fundamentally inside of us that that just really makes a difference to us can help us keep going with it. I love that. And I have seen photographs of these donkeys and they are absolutely (laughs) adorable. Um, And I will also say in past podcast episodes, that idea has sort of come up about how animals, pets, you know, they are really the best at cultivating mindfulness, you know, like keeping us grounded and present focused. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at just now too, right? Is that they're very mindful and intentional and it brings that out in you as well. Like it's hard to be scatterbrained, you know, when you're enjoying time with animals and pets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It works for me anyhow. (laughs) Yes. We are here today to talk about self-compassion. So we're going to start with a really broad question, basically. What is mindful self-compassion? So mindful self-compassion is a program, actually, that was created by Drs. Kristen Neff and Chris Germer in 2010 to help us increase our own self-compassion. And so when we practice mindfulness and self-compassion, they actually become these powerful inner resources that can 
support our well-being. They also created the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, and that's where I trained. And so we teach mindful self-compassion in various formats. We do courses of varying lengths and workshops, and we have written materials. There's a great workbook that actually Cassie Ferguson um, referenced on one of your podcasts and, um, and like things like this podcast. And, and actually, fairly recently, there's been a, a course developed specifically for healthcare providers, too. So that actually came along in 2020, which has helped support many providers now um, during these uh, incredibly difficult times of the pandemic. Um, so the nice thing about these practices, Carrie, is that you don't have to go somewhere special to do them. You don't have to have a half an hour of time. Once we learn them, these are practices that we can use in the moment in, in difficult situations, in times of, of struggle, when difficult emotions arise. So, so they're very handy um, to have. And when we can use them in a moment of uh, difficulty, it gives us a little more stability. And then that kind of opens the door for us to choose a, maybe a more thoughtful or wiser response in, in that moment. So these little moments of practice actually add up and slowly and surely our internal dialogue actually shifts and we become kinder to ourselves. So I thought maybe what might be helpful is if I could do a very short guided reflection. Would that be okay? That would be excellent. Yes. Uh, okay. So this is a practice we do in the first session of the program, and it's called How Do I Treat a Friend? To this uh, recording and carry free too, um, I'll invite you to think about various times when you've had a close friend who was struggling in some way. You know, maybe they had some sort of misfortune, they made a mistake, they said something that they thought was hurtful, they felt inadequate. In that situation, how do you typically respond to your friend? What do you say? What are the words? And just as importantly, what tone do you use? What's your posture? Are there any nonverbal gestures? So just kind of letting that percolate for another few moments. How do you respond to your friend who is struggling? Okay, so now letting the friend kind of fade into the background. And now I'll invite you to bring your attention to yourself. And Think about various times when you were struggling in some way. Maybe you had a misfortune. Um, you made a mistake. You said something you didn't mean to. You felt inadequate. How do you typically respond to yourself in those situations? What do you say? Again, what are the words you might use? And just as important, what is the tone you use with yourself? Is there a certain posture 
that you use or any nonverbal gestures. And so just, again, letting that roll through and kind of conjuring up how you respond to yourself in times of struggle. And now seeing if you can notice any patterns of difference between how you treat your friend and how you treat yourself in these rough moments when there's a struggle. What's the difference? Many of us are much more caring and kind and compassionate to our friends than we are to ourselves. And Kristen Neff actually studied this and found that about 78% of people are more compassionate toward others than themselves. 6% are about more compassionate to themselves than others. And 16% are about equal. So the majority of us, and I'll, you know, even go further with that. The majority of us in caregiving professions are more compassionate to others than we are to ourselves. And it's not our fault. You know, um, we don't really get taught this very well for most of us. Often we don't have a model of somebody in our life when we're growing up who's self-compassionate. I know I certainly did not. You know, we can, we can turn towards this and, and learn this skill for ourselves. So one really nice definition of self-compassion is treating ourselves with the same kindness as we would treat a friend when things are difficult. Yeah. So how that. was that for you, Carrie? I was just going to say what I always, I've, I've done that exercise before. And what I always notice about it is, as I'm, as I'm reflecting, I think, oh yes, of course there's this difference and I know it's, it's a problem. And I think, but it just shows how ingrained those thought patterns are, or like, you know, the, the fact of being less compassionate to yourself, um, as you were saying on like a greater societal level. Right. But then also just on a personal level, because, I think that's where the mindfulness comes in, right? Because in the moment yeah. when I'm struggling, it's not as obvious to me, right? Wow, I'm really being hard on myself. I'm not necessarily stopping and noticing. But when you do these reflections, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, right? And so, yeah, and I love that you're bringing in the mindfulness because mindfulness is really this awareness of present moment experience with acceptance, right. you know, without judging ourselves. And it's not that we say, we're condoning bad things that are happening, but we're just acknowledging that, okay, in this moment, this is what's happening. And it allows us um, to pause and then maybe again to respond differently. Now, I'm wondering, actually, this might be a good moment to just do that, to pause and maybe do a, a brief stop practice. What do you think? Sure. Yes, that sounds great. Okay, well, let's do that. This is a brief practice. And I've heard about different ways that people use it. Um, it actually is really helpful in calming and recentering ourselves, really, when we're in the middle of a stressful situation. The other place that it really can be helpful is during transitions. And so I think about this, you know, for people who are healthcare providers, and sometimes we still go from room to room. 
And so, you know, we may have come from a really difficult conversation with a patient or a client, and now our schedule's backed up and we got to go to the next person, you know? And so we can even just pause and do this practice in seconds once we know it, can put our hand on a doorway as we're going from one room to the next. And that can be a reminder to do this stop practice and say, oh, time for a quick stop so I can regroup or reboot before I go on and shift gears and see the next person. So STOP stands for, each, each letter stands for one of the steps. So I'll just guide you through that. So S is stop. T is take three deep breaths. O is observe. And P is proceed. So, okay, now let's do it. So S, stop. Let's just pause for a moment right now. Whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, but whatever you're doing, just pause for a moment. Stop what you're doing. And now let's all together take three deeper breaths together. (sighs) 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 (sighs)
a field. So that's the mindfulness piece. The second part is something we call common humanity rather than becoming isolated. So, you know, when we're, when we're um, working with self-compassion, we can see that this difficult experience um, is part of the larger human experience. Our imperfections, our mistakes are part of the human experience. Every single human makes mistakes. Every single human struggles, suffers in some way. And this is just life. This is normal. But sometimes when we struggle or fail, we feel like something's gone wrong. It should be different. And then this creates this feeling of abnormality that can be very isolating. The last part of self-compassion is self-kindness rather than judging ourselves. So with self-compassion, we give ourselves that kindness and care and understanding and support, just like we do for our friends or our patients. And, you know, most people treat themselves more harshly than this. And we say things to ourselves in a tone of voice that we never would use with somebody else. And this certainly was very true for me um, when I, before I sort of discovered self-compassion for myself. And so it, it really was an eye-opener for me to notice this acidic, inner, critical voice that I would use when I made a mistake. And even small mistakes, you know, but big mistakes were worse. And people would tell me, you know, well, you need to be a little more self-compassionate. And it really played with my mental health. It, I definitely contributed to my depression and anxiety. And, you know, and they'd say, well, be more self-compassionate. Well, how do I do that? Nobody right. really told me how to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why these practices, I, I embraced these for myself and really started practicing. And then I thought, well, maybe I can teach this too. So I became a teacher. But but, you know, at first this this was for me and it really helped me to shift in what I was doing. Self-compassion and self-kindness also really has an action component. You know, it really involves actively soothing and comforting ourselves. And so when we think about self-compassion, we think that it's sort of, oh, it's soft and soothing and all of that. And that definitely is one aspect of self-compassion. And we call this the yin of yin and yang. We call this the yin of self-compassion, which is this sort of being with ourselves in a compassionate way, comforting and soothing and validating ourselves. But there's also this real fierce side of self-compassion we call the yang of self-compassion, which is acting out in the world as we need to, to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and motivate ourselves. And this yang self-compassion is sort of Kristen Neff's newest endeavor on teaching on fierce compassion, especially for, for women, because we also get, we often get acculturated to be more you know, less fierce, shall we say, and, and also people who are marginal of marginalized communities, you know, there's a lot of uh, stigma around fierceness there. So, but we need this young self-compassion. So we need both sides of self-compassion to really practice it fully. I love that point though, because I think you're right. Many people, you know, do see it as soft or this sort of like a nice idea, right? And so yes. really yep. explaining it as an active practice um, and that right. it's, it's not about resignation or, you know, I feel like a broken record because I think I've said that about a million times, but just that it's not resignation, you know, it's not letting yourself off the hook. 
you know, that self-compassion is really an active uh, skill. Right. And people who are more self-compassionate, actually, this has been shown in research studies, they take more responsibility for their actions. Um, And so they, they definitely don't let themselves off the hook, but they motivate themselves with kindness rather than harsh, harsh words. Yeah, that's amazing. I know you spoke earlier about um, one of the ways that mindful self-compassion is helpful is that it allows us to respond more constructively, right? When things are not going well. What else do we know about how mindful self-compassion works? Yeah, well, for as a physician, this was a huge draw for me because mindful self-compassion is directly linked to our physiology and specifically the physiology of self-compassion and self-criticism. So Paul Gilbert created compassion-focused therapy, and he notes that when we criticize ourselves, we actually are tapping into our body's threat defense system. And this is kind of, you know, our reptilian brain, our downstairs brain, our primitive brain, whatever you want to call it. But, um, this older ancient part of our brain and this system evolved so that when we perceive a threat, our amygdala, the alarm center in our brain gets triggered and we release cortisol and adrenaline and we get ready for flight, fight and flight. Um, So this system works well for protecting ourselves against threats. And we do still need these, of course, of course, but often threats are due to, Uh, something attacking our self-concept, like self-criticism. And so when we criticize ourselves, we are actually attacking ourselves. And this makes our amygdala light up and starts this cascade where we then end up releasing cortisol and adrenaline. And we're in this defense mode, this fight, flight, sometimes freeze mode, right? And so... um, these, this really can cause stress, and it is often related to conditions like anxiety and depression and PTSD. So fortunately, we're not just reptiles, but we're also mammals. And so the big change with mammals, of course, is that um, mammalian young are born and very immature, and so they need their, their mommy around or their daddy to... Um, have this longer developmental period so they can adapt to their environments. So to facilitate this, the mammalian caregiving system evolved so that the infant and the mothers would stay close to one another for, for this protection. And so this mammalian caregiving system is, is um, triggered by some factors. And the main factors are soothing touch and gentle vocalizations. And and these are both universal initiators of compassion, actually, as well. And when we we activate this mammalian caregiving system, oxytocin is released, you know, that sort of cuddle hormone or the caregiving hormone, and internal opiates for for both the parents and the offspring. And so it helps that young one feel safe and secure. So when we practice self-compassion, especially with any sort of physical touch of self-compassion, we generate a sense of safety because we're activating our mammalian caregiving system. Likewise, when we speak to ourselves in a kind, soothing tone of voice, and that counteracts that stress generated by the threat defense system. So 
I personally have found this to be a huge help for me in my life. And I use this soothing or supportive touch multiple times every day. And so maybe that's another quick practice we can do, Carrie, together is um, I can guide listeners through this uh, sort of investigation of what soothing touches might feel good to them. Yes, please. In the course, this is often part of a a longer practice, but I'm just going to break out this one piece of it for right now. So um, so we're going to kind of see what we can discover about activating our own mammalian caregiving system and, and self-compassion through a gentle touch. So kind of um, taking advantage of this physiology that we have as, as mammals. And so I'll invite you all now to try these different gestures and see what feels possibly comforting or soothing. So right now you might put your hands together in your lap and maybe hold one hand in the other. And notice what that feels like, even seeing if you can feel some of your own warmth, if you have warm hands. And now you might try placing one hand over your heart space, you know, kind of the center of your chest. And you might even just gently press your hand against your chest and see how that feels. And now maybe place the other hand over the first hand, two hands over your heart and see how that feels. And all I'm inviting you to do is notice. So a little bit of mindfulness here, notice. Does this feel good? Does this feel supportive? Do you feel your own care? Now, sometimes we need a little bit more of that young young self-compassion, that fierce compassion. And so you can actually take a closed fist and put it over your heart space, over your central chest, and then gently cup your other hand over that fist. You know, just this fist can be a sign of strength, and sometimes that feels better. And then putting your other hand gently over that. Now you could try putting one hand on the belly and one hand on your chest. And you can try two hands on your belly. Actually, the upper abdomen is another place where there's lots of neuroreceptors that when we push on them, give our body a felt sense of safety. you can put your hand on your own shoulder. You can cross your arms in front of you and give yourself kind of a gentle squeeze, a little hug. And then finally, you can just let your hands go back to resting together in your lap. 
Now, for some of us, the supportive touch or, you know, soothing touch can feel kind of weird. And sometimes it even just doesn't feel good, you know, and, and we need to honor that because we all have um, various experiences in our past that may make us feel that way. And so the other thing to recall is that warmth, too, can make us feel uh, more held and can give us that feeling of kindness and care. And so I think that's really why sometimes a warm bath, a warm cup of tea, petting our cat or our dog, or in my case, my donkey, you mm-hmm. know, which is warm, you know, really can bring that comfort as well. And this, this has become second nature to me. I, I do this practice, like I said, all the time. I, my hand goes on my heart, my hands are together in my lap. And it, it kind of sometimes just says to me, Barbara, I've got you, I've got your back here. It's okay. Things will be all right. We can, we can do this. And, and that's immensely helpful. I love this practice. And I'll say that I feel like I've always felt pretty soothed by like a hand at heart center, but I really love the difference between, as you mentioned, the fierce self-compassion and doing the fist and sort of bringing a more energized feeling of strength. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. And, you know, we all need different things in different moments. And sometimes, you know, we might need to say no. We might need to say, this is not okay. I need to set a boundary. And then we can talk to ourselves and say, yeah, I need my fist right now. So Dr. Moser, why do you think that Practicing mindful self-compassion might be particularly important for the MCW students, students in health science education. Yeah, well, education can be really hard and and there's the educational rigor. And then, you know, we bring some of our own stuff to it. And many of us are really hard on ourselves and our self-worth can get caught up with our performance and when it's not perfect Um, I've been, you know, a card carrying perfectionist for most of my life. I'm letting go of it a bit now. But when we make mistakes, which of course we do, since all humans make mistakes, many of us, including me, uh, not so much anymore since I've been practicing self-compassion, but many of us criticize ourselves mercilessly, you know, and it's so vital in those moments to remember our common humanity that we all make mistakes. It's part of being human. And actually, just a shout out to you, Carrie, with your your new your failure sharing po- episodes of the podcast. Yes, I yes. really, really appreciate that because, yeah, we need to just have that common humanity around the mistakes that we will inevitably make. And, and the stakes are high often in healthcare. They, they really are. So it matters. But we are still human. So to keep right. all of that all of that interdependence in mind when, when, when we respond, right? And so, you know, these difficult emotions arise like anger, sadness, and shame. And mindful self-compassion helps us to change our relationship to these difficult emotions when we're in a difficult relationship with whoever that might be, an instructor, a mentor, a patient, or husband, our wife, our partner, you know, whoever that is. And frankly, the relationship we have with ourselves too. Um, You know, one of the great things about self-compassion and self-compassion practice is that it is independent of performance, 
praise from others and other external factors. So it's this practice of kindness and goodwill that we can give to ourselves. And, you know, we, we can really become an inner ally for us that we carry with us always. We don't have to wait for somebody else. And we have this sort of statement in self-compassion, mindful self-compassion that I want to just share with you, which is it's really a refinement of intention. So we give ourselves compassion, not to feel better, but because we are feeling badly, you know, because we are deserving of kindness, because right. we are feeling badly. So self-compassion is not hooked to any outcome, you know? And so now often when we do practice self-compassion, a side effect may be that we do feel better and things ease up, but that's not the primary intention of the practice. Um, so that's a really important part of self-compassion. The other thing about it is that, you know, in, in healthcare, we are often expected to meet immense amounts of suffering of patients and those we serve with a sustainable compassion for them. So how do we, how do we do this? How do we how do we not get overwhelmed by all this pain and suffering? And and really research has shown that self-compassion is powerfully linked to our well-being. So when we have higher levels of self-compassion, we have more positive states like life satisfaction, happiness, um, and fewer negative states like depression, anxiety, and stress. And in healthcare professionals, research has shown that greater self-compassion is linked to lower levels of caregiving fatigue, which is this thing we call burnout or compassion fatigue. I like to call it caregiving fatigue. Um, and, and that when we have more self-compassion, we have greater satisfaction with, with our, our caregiving role, whatever that might be. So we do, as caregivers, come in contact with a lot of suffering and pain. And because we're humans and we've evolved to be humans, we are neurologically wired to empathically resonate with people who are suffering. Now, you know, day after day, this can just become too much, overwhelming, stressful, and we may get really exhausted and move into this sort of state of caregiving fatigue. And I, I just want to say this very clearly to everybody. This is not a weakness. It's a sign of our being human. And it's a sign of our ability to care for others. It's the situation. It's not us. And so I really want to point your listeners to your episode from November 19th with Dr. Ferguson, where there was so much valuable information shared on empathy and compassion and how these show up in our work. And bottom line is compassion is a positive and energizing emotion. So as we're encountering this pain and suffering and our various roles in our lives, we we need to remember to give ourselves compassion as well to ourselves, as well as to those we care for. So, you know, this is this proverbial overused metaphor of putting on our own oxygen mask first so that we can keep right. going and keep caring, right? And so with self-compassion practices, because we can do many of these practices in the moment, we can learn to work with our own pain and suffering as we encounter it on the spot rather than sort of suppressing it. And that really allows us to stay in connection 
with our patients. Because often what we do is we compartmentalize them and we sort of stuff that awful feeling that we're getting because we, we are encountering this person who is really suffering. And when we can say, okay, I can take a breath, I can be with this feeling with love, really, um, that helps us stay in connection with the person whom we're helping. And so it, it feels good. And we can then sustain our capacity to remain compassionate in our work. Um, this came up for me personally uh, so clearly when I started to co-facilitate uh, groups, support groups for survivors of suicide loss. So these were people who had lost loved ones to suicide very recently sometimes. And the first time I walked into the room with this group, I have to say the pain, the level of pain, emotional pain and suffering was just palpable to me. And it just, it just knocked me for a loop. And I, I was listening as people went around telling a bit of their stories. And I, I was thinking to myself, I remember this so clearly, I cannot do this work. This is the only time I'm going to show up in a, in a group because this is just overwhelming me. And luckily, I had started my self-compassion practice and it kicked in. And one of the things, and we'll do this in a moment if we have time still, I know I'm going on a bit here, um, but you know, breathing in for myself and out for everybody in the room and taking some sweetness in for me and sending kindness out into the room. Nobody knew I was doing it. I was just quietly doing this on my own little chair and I calmed down. I became centered and I continued to co-facilitate these groups for several years after that. So it, it really can be so, so helpful in the moment. Wow. So Carrie, do we have time to do a we, we have time. Yes, let's do it. Okay. All right. So there's a practice that we do called compassion with equanimity. Equanimity is sort of staying balanced, not getting pulled too far in a negative or a positive direction, walking evenly over uneven ground, Rick Hansen likes to say. So this practice uses some phrases. And I just want to share that these phrases may not resonate for you. That's fine. Sometimes we use phrases in our practices and change them, change them for how they, how they work for you. So feel free to do that. Um, and we'll also do a bit of this breathing in for ourselves and out for others. So maybe take a moment and get comfortable, maybe uncross your legs, get your feet flat on the floor. Uh, feet can be a very anchoring spot. So, you know, when, when we're upset, we can feel our feet and that includes during a practice. And you know, do as much of this practice as feels right for you. Um, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Or just listen to the words, but don't participate. Just however, um, engage with it to how, whatever extent feels, feels good. And so maybe now let's all take maybe a couple of deeper breaths. Breathing in and then breathing slowly out. And if it feels supportive, maybe putting a hand on your heart or on your shoulder, just as a reminder that we're bringing our own kindness to this practice. And I'll invite you to bring to mind someone you are caring for in your life who's exhausting you or frustrating you. 
someone who you care about who's suffering. This could be a patient or a client. It could be someone in your personal life, family member, maybe not your child for the first time you do this practice. That's a little bit more complicated relationship, but someone who you care about who is suffering. And it's really becoming a bit too much, maybe even overwhelming. And seeing if you can visualize this person and the care situation clearly in your mind's eye, and maybe even feeling a bit of the struggle as a body sensation. You feel it in your body. You know this is hard. So now I'm going to share some words, some phrases, and just letting them roll through your mind. Nothing to do with them other than to just listen. Everyone is on their own life journey. I am not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it entirely within my power to make it go away, even though I wish I could. Moments like this are difficult to bear, yet I may still try to help if I can. Everyone is on their own life journey. I'm not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it entirely within my power to make it go away, even though I wish I could. Moments like this are difficult to bear, yet I may still try to help if I can. So aware of the stress you may be carrying in your body because of this caregiving situation, inhaling fully and deeply and drawing compassion inside your body and filling every cell of your body with compassion, letting yourself be soothed by inhaling deeply and giving yourself what you need in this moment, kindness, care, And as you exhale, sending out something good, perhaps compassion, kindness, comfort to the person who is associated with your discomfort. And as you breathe, continuing to breathe in something good for you and something out for this other person. And allowing your body to find a natural, easy breathing rhythm. Just kind of letting your body breathe itself in for me and out for you. Breathing in something good for me and sending something good out to this other person. And just doing this for a couple of more breath cycles. You might even notice your body feeling soothed as you breathe. Our compassion is really limitless. 
you can even imagine yourself just floating on an ocean of compassion, a limitless ocean that can hold all of this suffering, our suffering and the suffering of others. And listening to these words once more, everyone is on their own life journey. I am not the cause of this person's suffering, nor is it entirely within my power to make it go away, even though I wish I could. Moments like this are difficult to bear, yet I may still try to help if I can. So now slowly letting go of this practice, and allowing yourself to be just exactly as you are right now in this moment, nothing to change, however this was for you. And if your eyes were closed, you can gently open your eyes and start to wiggle a little bit as we come back to Carrie. That was amazing. <laughs> I'll say too, it's, it's remarkable how soothing those breaths are, but also how nurturing they felt. You could feel that compassion. Mm. Well, that's, that's great. That yes. Is, that yes. Is, that is what we, we, you know, want to, to feel and experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I, I especially love about the mindful self-compassion program is that it, it really is intended to give us this felt sense of compassion, you right. know, that, that we really can authentically start to feel it begin. And sometimes it really is just the beginning. It can take a long time to really um, get, get through to ourselves. <laughs> it did for me, but, but it was worth it. You know? yeah. And Dr. Moser, if students are so inspired by this episode or this topic, uh, where could they find more information or how could students reach you? Yeah. So, um, they can always reach me at my email best probably is Barbara at uh, compassion mke.com. So B A R B A R A at compassion mke, all one word.com. To learn more, there's a few really great resources that are, are out there. Some are freely available or available at very low cost. So one is this mindful self compassion workbook. I, I guess I, I, and I, Full disclosure, don't get anything from promoting this workbook, but um, it's really a great resource. It has lots of practices in it, and you can get it on Amazon for under 20 bucks. It was written by Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, the co-founders of Mindful Self-Compassion. And it really goes through all these practices. The practice I just led you through, the, the compassion with equanimity is, is in there. Um, so that's one thing. The other is that there's several websites that can be really helpful. One is the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And that sort of tells you a lot more about self-compassion and has some of the practices, audio files and, and uh, printed instructions, links to those. Kristen Neff's website is amazing in that she has all of the research articles and you can actually link to the actual PDFs of the articles um, that go along with self-compassion research. She also has a self-compassion test on her research on her website. So you can actually do this test online. It's also in the workbook actually. And you can sort of test 
how self-compassionate am I? And then Chris Germer's website is great. And I, I, when I want to look up a practice and hear the audio or find instructions, I go to his website and the meditation part of that. So those, um, those are, are all great resources to get going and learn more about mindful self-compassion. Perfect. And I will go ahead and include those resources in the show notes as well as Dr. Moser's email so students can reach it there. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And just again, Dr. Moser, thanks so much for being here. I really, really loved this episode. I love this topic. The practices were amazing. Um, I have no doubt that students are going to find great value in this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much. 